we've been taught that leadership is supposed to look like one thing, mm -hmm. which is through a pretty patriarchal lens, yeah. that it's about like um, f sort of force yep. and um, strength and sometimes, you know, fear being used as a tool or, or intimidation. And I think the act of like not knowing every answer and actually asking questions yes. around you and allowing for it to be a collective instills so much trust in your leadership because yes. people feel included and people feel involved and they are genuinely included and involved. It's not just yeah. a feeling. It's yeah. like, we're all in this together. And like, that is such an exciting way yeah. to make work yeah. because everyone is then so equally invested in their visions bringing your vision to life and to me that's one of the most exciting things about filmmaking is yeah. is just working in community in that way hi i'm rachel hollis and this is my podcast i spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching youtube videos and trying to find out as much as i can about the world around me and that's what we do on this show we talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Have you directed before? And did I not know that? Slip, I wrote, directed, and starred in every episode of. Shut up. Yeah. Oh, I'm a dick that I did not know That's that. That's okay. I thought we were just talking about the acting piece. Okay. No. I'm so excited now. <laughs> I have had the opportunity. You're the third female writer, producer, direct that I've gotten to talk to this week. Shut up. Yes. And I'm so, oh, the universe is amazing. I'm so excited because I have noticed more and more lately for the first time, like becoming conscious of like, damn, there are no female names. It's never a woman. It's never a woman yeah. like who are, and when it is, we make such a massive deal about it. Yeah. And then every time it's like Joe and yes, certainly they could be girls names. Totally. But my point is I'm so pumped now. Okay. <laughs> let's talk about this because I guess I'm getting ahead of myself, mm -hmm. getting too excited. Let's talk about your career first okay. and how you made the transition from actress to writer, director, like doing all the things. <laughs> well, I was always, I always identified as a writer, almost more than as an actor cool. in my adolescence. I wrote a lot of prose and poetry as angsty adolescents do. And I went to Tisch at NYU for yeah. acting school, but I was still writing and I started to write sketch comedies in a in a sketch comedy class and it was David Mamet's acting school mm -hmm. the Atlantic Theater Company and he would come in and everyone would drop everything um and and he was notoriously sort of cruel to students and would be like sit down before you finished and everyone was putting up scenes you know haphazardly that they were working on in in scene study classes and I put up um a scene that I had written and he let me get through the whole thing and then afterwards said, who wrote that? And I said, I did. And he said, you should write a feature. Um, Holy shit. Big praise. It was big. It was yeah. big praise. Especially, yeah, he was 
truly God there. So, um, but I didn't. And and when I graduated from Tisch, I wrote a one-woman show for myself to star in. Cool. And so my career as an actor was also very much my career as a writer. And those two things being in dialogue proved to be successful for me and, you know, showed me also the power of making one's own work rather than waiting for yes. the, the phone to ring. And then I started to write with my ex-husband, Daryl Wine, um, and we wrote a number of features together, which he directed and I acted in. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so that was really like boot camp for me as a filmmaker. They were both like guerrilla indie films, and then we started working in the studio system. And then from there... You know, it, it always like just takes one person, I feel like. I went to coffee with this amazing producer named Alex Madigan, and she said, why aren't you directing? And I had never even asked myself the question. Mm-hmm. I think especially for women in film, there's this misconception that if you don't know everything or if you haven't gone to film school or if you're not perfect, that you can't take a swing, which isn't entirely unfounded because there is a double standard and yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so you know i think that fear is is legit but when she said that i was like yeah i should and so i directed i wrote and directed and starred in my first uh feature to be wearing all of those hats called band-aid we made it for very little money we shot it in 12 days i hired a crew made up entirely of women yes which was an incredible experience i bet uh and and that really opened so many doors for me as a director. It, it premiered at Sundance and competition and then sold. And and so from there, I then went on and um, directed a remake of the 90s cult witch movie, The Craft. <laughs> um, and then... The most recent one. The most recent one, so yeah. So I'm gonna, I know I sound like an idiot right now, and you're like, why am I <laughs> sitting with this person who doesn't know? But I very intentionally don't research who I'm sitting I love down that. with. Because... Google will reveal things, and I don't want a preconceived notion. So I'm delightfully discovering (laughs) all of this about you in real time. So, like, let's take a beat on that because I grew up in a time where the craft was, I mean, it's iconic. It's everything. It's when I was a teenager, I remember seeing that illegally because if my parents had known, I grew up in a very religious home. They would be like, you're going to burn in hell. And I was like, this is who I am. Uh, (laughs) Let me burn. Yes. So uh, how do you even take on something that you know has a fan base that have really deep ties to it? Um, I would say just with sheer terror. Right, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, like the, the the remake is called The Craft Legacy, but, but I was taking on such a legacy with such diehard fans. And that film in particular, the original, it was so seminal for so many people in terms of feeling less alone as a weirdo. Yes. And yes. um so like the emotional resonance that it holds for fans is yeah like very, very intense. So yeah, it was terrifying and uh you know I did my best. Yeah. Oh my gosh, of course. <laughs> but, um, but I was so excited. You know, it was brought to me and um and with everything I write, even if it's something that is not born of my own imagination, like I always have to find a personal route in. And so um, when I was asked to to pitch a take, I look back at my own adolescence and my time in high school, I had a shaved head and was a total weirdo and was bullied. And my mom and I were like best friends. And then she moved me into her 
boyfriend's house where he had three sons. And so we went from this like very sort of wow. divinely feminine space into a pretty toxic masculine space mm. at a really crucial point in my development yeah. <laughs> as a young yeah. woman. Uh, and so that was my jumping off point for for the craft legacy. But yeah, I mean, it came with many challenges, uh, yeah. but it was really cool that Absolutely. I was trusted to take it on. And then quarantine hit and my ex-husband and I made a film called How It Ends, which we shot in quarantine at the beginning of, of quarantine. So we basically like, it was it was just sort of a lifeline to figure out if we could still make films. And we got all of our friends to shoot in their backyard six feet apart. And it's an apocalyptic story yeah. um, of, of me and my younger self walking across Los Angeles on the last day on earth and visiting all the people that we need to say goodbye to. So wow. it was sort of mirroring a lot of the uncertainty and grief that we were facing in the pandemic. And then while also in quarantine, I wrote my latest show, uh, Slip, which um, is, uh, <laughs> I guess, a, a multiversal sex dramedy. <laughs> cool. Cool. <laughs> um, and uh, And so that was my... I wrote all seven episodes in quarantine and it was sort of my way of exploring all of the existential questions that were like raging within us at that yeah. time where we were so like turning so deeply inwards mm -hmm. and reflecting and sort of looking back at our lives and wondering if we made the right decisions or if we had taken a different path where we would have landed and and just like navig navigating that feeling of restlessness um, and wanting more from life. And so this was sort of my way of um, inhabiting a fantasy of many lives. Uh, the stories of a, a woman who um, is feeling restless in her marriage, ends up cheating on her husband, and then wakes up the next morning married to the guy she cheated on her husband with. And over the course of the season learns that through orgasm, she's being transported into a multiverse. So there's an orgasm at the center of every episode. I mean, as there should be. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. I love that. I mean, I love that just from the perspective that, you know, an orgasm is the energy in an orgasm could potentially put you into another universe. I'll buy that it, all it day. Should. Yeah. <laughs> Where did, do your ideas start with something big and nebulous? Like, I want to take on this big thing, or is it like, what if I had an orgasm and all of a sudden woke up in a different life? Like, is it that little or gigantic? I think it starts big. Oh, okay. Um, I think it's it starts big and a little quiet, like mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Like the sort of broader questions that I'm asking in my life or that I'm like begging my therapist to help me with, <laughs> um, I tend to try to figure out in my work. And then I sort of hone in on how to depersonalize them slightly and find like a more fantastical lens. So with something like Band-Aid, which was my uh, directorial debut, I was really interested in the way couples fight. My ex and I were fighting a lot. And so it, it is a, a an exploration of that. But um, in the film, it's a couple who decides to turn all their fights into songs and start a band. So it's a musical. and And so in Slip, similarly, it's like, all of these questions about what do we do with the what ifs and wanting more and and the sort of hungry ghosts that live within us, but through you know the lens of the multiverse and a pretty like fantastical way in. So I guess yeah, I guess I go big and then it's a really interesting 
topic because I think surely men have this too, but I do know for myself or friends that you have those moments where you're like, well, is this the right person? I mean, I think anyone who's gone through divorce has that moment where you're like, wait, I thought you were forever and now we're these different people and I don't know what this means and what would have happened if it was this. Or I think of this in my own life that I was married for 18 years and I, I know it's a very long time. And I, you know, like most people, you try so desperately to make it work, make it work, make it work. And when we finally got divorced, years later, I have the most incredible partner and I love him so much and I'm so grateful for the life that I get to live today. And it makes me think all the time of not just how different my life would be, but how different his life would be, my kids' lives would be. Um, All of these things that sort of stack like, you know, sliding doors or whatever. If we had made that decision instead of this one, it doesn't just affect you. It affects like a whole community. The the ripple effects are so much greater. So I I love the exploration of that topic and through a really interesting uh, portal (laughs) to get there. Yeah, yeah. I was with my ex for 17 years. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, That's why your eyes are big. Like, <laughs> I know that world. Yeah, and and I think the show is is about grief in some ways and it's it is about those questions of like I always like playing in ambiguity a little bit of like if you're in a relationship however long or short it is, there's something that is important, right? That is that you're learning from that, or or that has nourished you, or expa- been, been expansive for you. And so, like in Slip, I, I definitely wanted the relationship to be one that also was like very functional. Yeah. That she's leaving. Yeah. Um. And and that as she's, you know, <laughs> fucking her way <laughs> through the multiverse, she she is constantly sort of looking back and going, should I have left left that life that I called home or that I understood to be home and how do I find a new home and what does home even mean? And and making those those major life decisions is so terrifying and takes such courage. But then, yeah, I do think there's such an opening for, obviously for growth. But yeah, what ifs always fascinate me. Like all of those, and especially I think in, in quarantine, like they just became louder for me, all the what ifs of and those questions of like, in a split second, I could have, I didn't go to the bar that night, but I knew the guy that was there. And if right. I had gone to the bar, would I be married to that guy? Like, right. you know, right? <laughs> um, and those things are so crazy. Yeah. If you really, uh, if you absolutely. spend too much time thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, to your point, during that time, we all started asking questions. Well, between like, you know, trying to wash your groceries and watch yeah. Tiger King, we all started asking questions about like, what does any of this mean? Why are we doing this? Because we had the most, this thing that we thought was like every human right, which was to just have autonomy over our own lives and yeah. how we lived and what we did in the world. And then all of a sudden our reality was taken away. And then I, you'd have to be pretty removed to not go like, what even is reality? Like, is (laughs) any of this real? What are we doing? It was so wild. And I think in a lot of ways, the the residue of that is still on us. For sure. And we're handling it in different ways, but it's still here. Yeah. I mean, we haven't processed the trauma. We're still in it. Yeah. 
Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. It makes sense that the multiverse is such a part of the zeitgeist right now in pop culture because I do think there was such a desire for escapism, but also like to try on different selves. Like we were so isolated in the idea of other worlds that we could be right. um, visiting or just like bumping up against just human beings. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. um, it did. It really, there was such a, um, I think it will have profound effects for yeah, like for decades to come. Long yeah, for time. How does one even pitch a show with this concept? Did you shoot it? Did you write it? Did you sit down with people and go, I got a got a wild idea? I sat down with my agents and managers right before quarantine. Okay. And said, I've got a wild idea. And they were like, go for it. I knew that I wanted to write the entire first season alone, which is unconventional. Usually you have a writer's room um, mm-hmm. with, with a number of writers in it. But I think coming off the craft which was a studio film and had a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Yes, yeah. It was really important for me as an artist to just have something that was very much my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then quarantine hit, and so then I had, a, like, I well, had a lot of time. Worked out. <laughs> um, so I, I wrote the whole thing and then sent it to my team, and then I didn't want to pitch it. I actually wanted, because it's so rare to have an entire season written, I wanted to send it to networks as an entire season and to not even let them know what it was really about so that they would read it as a viewer would watch it. Um, Tea Time uh, Pictures, which is Dakota Johnson's Mm -hmm. production company, came on as a producer. We did the whole, you know, rig and roll, (laughs) the song and dance, but ultimately brought it to Roku, which they're now making their own original content. They're doing really cool stuff. And and they read all seven and gave us a green light to series without one script note, which was which is completely unheard of. Like wow. Uh, and as an artist, you're just the like, dream, ah. <laughs> <laughs> the absolute dream. And um, because I was directing and starring, we could go very quickly. And so yeah, like within a couple months, we were in prep, and it was a really it's it's interesting how things like incubate. The idea was incubating in me for a long time, yeah. but 
you sort of get those cosmic downloads that mm-hmm. are like, it's time to write yeah. now. And I then it was like, time to make it. And and now it's time to share it with the world, which is always, I don't have children, but um, it's the closest thing right. I imagine to giving baby. birth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. It's that, that like I've been cooking and sort of making this thing. And then all of a sudden, I, my only thing that I can equate it to is writing a book. Yeah. And then you sort of push it out into the world and like, please like this. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's something. And especially uh, when, like, I'm sure as as writing a book, it's like when something's so personal yes. too, there's so much on the line yeah. <laughs> in sharing it. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like? Was this, forgive me if you said this and I didn't catch it, but was this the first time you were in front of and behind the camera simultaneously? No, I, it, it was the third time, okay. but it was the first time in the TV space. So oh, okay. I had made two films um, where I was both directing and starring and writing. But yeah, this was like seven episodes. So it was a much more daunting task. Mm-hmm. Even just, and, I, and I'm really in every frame of the, sh- of the show. <laughs> um, I love writing, directing, and acting. It feels very holistic mm-hmm. artistically. Like yeah. all those things being in conversation you know, from conception to to now is like a really cool experience. It's not just empowering. It's like, I think creatively, they're all in such di- dialogue and like so harmonious and the piece lives so cellularly in me that, yeah. um, you know, I've never actually directed something that I haven't written, which is something I am open to. But But that experience of like, when I'm writing, I'm directing as I'm writing, right. you know, and when I'm directing, I've heard every piece of dialogue said in in my own mind. Yeah. Um, and there's really not a question that I don't feel I can answer readily. And that's just like such a cool experience. Um, it was really the first time I'd done a couple sex scenes in Band-Aid, but they were pretty tame. This is a, a very sex forward show. Yeah. And um, so directing my own sex scenes was yeah. <laughs> was new. Wow. Um, yeah. And really cool yeah. and empowering. And obviously. Did you have what do they call it? The an intimacy coordinator. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So did you have an intimacy coordinator? Yes. And yeah. what is that? I shouldn't giggle. I'm like five years old. Um, <laughs> but what was that process like? You're the leader of this thing. You yeah. want to make sure everybody feels safe. But you're also in this moment in a very vulnerable position mm. as the leader. And like, mm. I mean, I don't know what you did, but like, here are my boobs, everybody. Like what, yeah. what did that feel like for you? Well, I think intimacy coordinators are really important. This was a very unique position for her to be in because generally her job is, I mean, she has many responsibilities. But one of those things, I think, why intimacy coordinators have become so important of late is is because of the history of exploitation of especially women actors yes. on screen in yes. sex scenes by predominantly <laughs> male directors. And so it's about it's really about consenting to what you are exposing before you're in the midst of this right. crazy right. tornado of an experience being on camera naked and, or semi-naked and and simulating really vulnerable and intimate uh, situations. But for her, like our conversations, because the body was really mine, <laughs> I mean, I had partners, but but it is really about female pleasure and, and the female orgasm. And so um, as a director, I really wanted it to focus on, on that, on me, on my body. And I really wanted it to feel intimate. Like mm-hmm. I didn't want it to feel voyeuristic. Yeah. And so I, and so she was really helpful just in terms of choreography. Like 
to make a sex scene look really real, um, but to have it feel safe for everybody involved is is you know re- yeah. requires a lot of um, prep and and choreography and discussions with actors. And but- what what is that? look like like choreography like okay in this part you're gonna put your hand over your head and then you're like it's like a dance like you're literally going beat for beat yeah and and so my first conversations with Mackenzie my intimacy coordinator were mostly about like exactly what body parts of every actor will be exposed will be touched will have a mouth on it whatever it is it's listing them all so wow um, and then sending those to um, lists to their teams, to their lawyers, getting them signed off on. And because sex is really like the central set piece of every episode, yeah. directorial, I, I really wanted to distinguish them and, and create a visual vocabulary that was exciting and fresh. And so there are a lot of, a number of sex scenes that are shot in one take. Wow, um, that's wild. And so those in particular require so much oh, choreography. Yeah. And I would bring my actor to monitor with me because I would have to go watch monitor because I wasn't at monitor. Right. I, was, <laughs> um, I was acting. But um, I would bring my actors to watch because it would be like, okay, you have to, if you, you have to move your right shoulder right when you feel the breath of the lens passing your head. And then you have to take my clothes off right when you feel it wow. come around the other shoulder. And so it becomes really intricate. It, yeah. is, it is not sexy. It's not sexy. <laughs> but then the product is, and that's like sort of the beauty of, of being able to have those conversations um, ahead of time and, and have everyone on board. But it was impo- it was so empowering yeah. to to be in control of of both myself as like subject and object on camera in those sort of historically tenuous circumstances. Yeah. And I really I wanted to create a show that was like sensual and hot and yeah. that turned people on, but yeah. also was about a really complicated woman who who was not always sexy and who was like a mess, you know, Um, because I feel like it's rare to get both. Like I I feel that I'm always making the things that I want to see, but, but, you know, we've seen like messy, amazing, messy, complicated women at at the forefront of television shows as protagonists with explicit sex involved, but sex is generally kind of like silly or used for comedic effect. And so I wanted to see if I could play with eroticism in a more serious way and have a female protagonist who was, um, you know, sort of a disaster. Yeah, I think that's really, it's a really cool intention. A lot of, or it doesn't feel like is often the case. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle, and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb. 
host. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. Guys, no two listeners of the show are exactly alike, which means that no two vacations you take are going to be exactly alike either. And if you're looking for a place that will serve all of you, Texas has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. I love Texas so much, I moved my family there for five years. Because here's the deal, Texas has it all. Are you a beach person? We got you. If you love a rugged vacation, not my jam, but there's plenty of campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. My favorite part about Texas the food. It is the thing I miss the absolute most. Whether you love barbecue or Tex-Mex or just want to be in cities that take their food very seriously. You can enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. I think that we as individuals sort of wish that we saw our version Mm -hmm. of things. So what I think of when you say that is I'm uh, a lot of the work that I do. I have no, I shouldn't say a lot. All the work that I do, um, this show writing books, speaking on stage, anything I do is with the same audience in mind, Mm. always. I have been creating content for her for 15 years. It's what I'll do forever. And she is really specific in my mind, and she's a mom. And she's a mom because I'm a mom. And Mm. so I have this, this woman in my head. And so what I never see is a mom, is a character that is a mother that is also a human being. Yeah. We it's it's so often and maybe it feels similar to what you're saying, it's so often one note, right? Most of the time it's like she's an overbearing, she's super pulled together, she's obsessive about her kids or she's a hot mess. And so everything she does is going to be messy. Everything's going to be about the comedy. It's all this one thing. Yeah. But what's cool about what you've done and what I wish people would do with mothers is like that's not really how it works. In real life, yeah. we're really great at some stuff and absolutely failing in other areas, and that's real. Yeah. So someone that is, you know, struggling or messy or dealing with hard stuff 
can also be sexy as hell and have an amazing sex, because which, by the way, is actually way more common than, oh, I'm a mess in every single area. Totally. I love that you explored that. Thanks. I mean, I was really interested in the sexual awakening that occurs for women later in life. Yeah. Because I also felt like I hadn't seen that explored. Obviously, Sex in the City sort of right, like runs right. the gamut. But yeah, I, this is, you know, May, the character that I play in Slip is is 37. And, and it is about a sexual awakening where she's leaving a marriage that was sexually unfulfilling. And suddenly at this, you know, semi-late age, mm-hmm. at least as we're, we're taught, right, that like we should be totally in touch with our bodies and our sexuality and our desires. But I think for women especially, it's just so complicated. And and it's rarely talked about. And so to see a woman who is like really desirous and is in the process of embodiment at that stage while also like sort of spinning out of control, I I loved those two things sort of like bumping up against one another. Not having seen all the episodes, did the experience of having sex change with each person that she was with? Mm-hmm. You know, there's that old, uh, not old, but um, Esther Perel says yeah. sex isn't sex isn't a thing you do; it's a place you go. So it's that. like, is it a different journey with each? journey. What am I doing? Um, <laughs> this is what sex looks like. This is, this is what the NBC coordinator did. Um, is it different for for every character, every actor that you yeah. brought into that space with you? Yes. With the exception of one sex scene, which is, you know, more played for comedic effect, I did want every sex scene to be hot. I, I did make a show that I, I wanted to turn, I want to turn everyone on, but I really wanted to make a show that would turn women on. I, yeah. I, and and so I was creating sex scenes that I felt, you know, would would turn what that viewer mm-hmm. that you have or that yeah. audience that you have in your mind, yeah. the audience that I have in my mind, it's like, what would turn um, that audience on? And so they each sexual experience is different because I'm trying on all these different lives. It's like, I go, I'm with a rock star. That's a totally different experience um, than I'm with a woman. That's a totally different experience than I'm with a stockbroker. That's a totally different experience. So yeah, playing with what those... <laughs> it is, what, it's like yeah. a, there's something, you know, fantastical about it because I do, as someone who came out of a very long marriage at 37, by the way, Whoa. and had had exactly one sexual partner at 37, I've only ever been with my <gasps> husband. I know it was wild. So a lot of the things you're seeing, I'm like, yeah, there was that moment where I was like, who am I now? Yes. What am I doing? And also I have no idea how and how do I pursue something like that? And I think uh, there there's such an element of fantasy in that, of what would it be like to explore totally different things and sort of see what become so does her life shift with every so she's in yes. a new life experience every single time yeah her closet shifts How her funny. and any each world she's learning about who these new selves are by being thrown into them and so it is about tr- the ways in which we try on different selves especially in relationships with different yes. people yeah um which also always fascinates me and f- trying to get our footing, you know, within each of those relationships of like, but is this who I am? Or am I betraying myself? Is this my authentic self? Am I shifting too much to meet you where you are? 
so yeah, she definitely changes and she and and with each new relationship there's like a huge element of self-discovery around who she is or who she wants to be or or the path that she wants to be on. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Getting to this place in your career, you know, you have written, you've acted, you've do you and you could tell me like this is like I'm in labor and you're asking me when I'm gonna have another kid. <laughs> but do you have do you look forward to the future and go, okay, we did these things and now What's the next mountain? Is that how your mind works? Or are you more of a stay present in this moment kind of person? You know, I am a, I am a stay present person, but I have I always have an eye towards the future. There there's always something percolating. I would say I try to listen to my gut about when it's time to take that on. I think because I like throw myself so fully into each of these um projects and they're so all consuming especially mm-hmm. with all the hats I'm wearing. I try to give like my brain a little break but it's rare. So right, um right. Roku didn't green light a second season but they did green light all the scripts for the second season. So uh that has been taking up a lot of my time. So now we have all of the second season written which is exciting. Uh and and yeah, so now in this moment like in the moment of labor pains right. and, and uh, on the cusp of giving birth. I'm not totally forward looking, but mm-hmm. I definitely have some ideas of where I want to go next. I um, have been working on a book. Uh, cool. Yeah, which is like, I, I like the idea always of leaning into things that I haven't done or things yeah, that scare me. me. Too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, as a, as a writer, that's one of my goals in life is to write, not just write, but to write successfully in as many different modalities and you know categories and genres as I can I think probably because I enjoy being a student Mm -hmm. I really like learning a new space and how do I do this and I get bored if I do the same thing too much so I'm the same way in that I'll be in the middle of something very intense, but there's always this like, I mean, it's probably the writer in us that yeah. you're, you're constantly looking for like this moment, this thing that happened in your, you know, to the you at the gym today and whatever. And you're like, oh, that's a, so we're constantly tucking those beats away for, yeah. for later. Yeah. We've got little treasure chests that <laughs> yeah. we're accumulating stories inside of. This is a really technical question, but I am very curious is, how intense is the production process for you? I have no concept of your world. So I don't know if it takes six months or three years or what does that look like? And then how do you, as a woman, as a leader, as someone who wants to take care of yourself and do well, how do you manage the intensity, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. of of that time period? Uh, production varies project to project and it's really dependent on resources. So... I've never had enough resources to have the amount of time necessary to make what yeah. I have to make. Uh, Slip was shot in 36 days, which is very short for seven episodes wow, of television. Yeah. So it was incredibly intense. Wow. And we had so much to get done uh, on a day. And and really your job as a director, in addition to you know being a leader on set and sort of being the nexus of communication between all department heads, creating a cohesive energy on set so that everyone's feeling heard and loved and respected and um, inspired. There's also a, a producerial element, which is if you don't make your day, you're done. And um, and so there's a ticking clock that is behind all wow. of the, you know, creative impulses that you, 
you um, should be able to focus on, you know, yeah. entirely. And then when you add acting to the to the mix, oh um, gosh, emotionally, are you just exhausted? At the yes, end of it? yeah, yeah. Wow. There's so much adrenaline. Yes. that um, that during it, I'm just like, ah, yeah. At the end of every day, you know, it's with with hair and makeup because when you're both directing and acting, you know, it's about 15, 15 hour days, 16 hour days. Um, but I would go home and would just be like, I don't know, just, it was so thrilling because it's, this is my, this has been my dream to create my own show. So there's that also that's like fueling the energy amidst the madness the second we wrapped, I was like a corpse of a person. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, yeah. And I'm still a little bit uh, walking dead. But yeah. um, you look great. Thank you so much. <laughs> I I like do a lot. I, I throw money at the problem. I, yeah, um, I get that. Or just I throw time at it too. You know, like when I every weekend. I mean, we were shooting in in COVID too, so I didn't want to leave my house ever just for fear of if I went down, the whole ship was right. going to sink. But every weekend I had acupuncture, an acupuncturist come to my house mm-hmm. and, um, and a craniosacral person. Yeah. And I do really believe in Eastern medicine, but also in body work. Yes. Like when you're holding that much that emotionally too, that release is so mm-hmm. important. And, uh, and, you know, I was I was getting vitamin IV drips like on set in yeah. my lunch break. Yeah. Are you really regimented in like what you eat, how much water you drink? Like yeah. in those intense periods. Yeah, because you're an athlete. Yeah. Like I mean, yeah. it's it's an endurance test. Right. And it and I'm also neurotic <laughs> and a control freak. So but yeah, I do. I do treat it that way. And I find like if you have a trick like that, like use it, you know, yes. whatever's in your toolbox, like right. you got to employ because right. otherwise there are many people I know that don't and they also do fine. Yes. <laughs> but for me, yeah. it's uh, it also just helps me feel like I'm, I don't know, I'm doing the right things in order to get myself to where I need to be. Well, I think you're also controlling the variables you can control Yes, because totally. so many things in that moment you can't, right? Yeah. Like you want everything to go, but you do the very best you can. And then you hope that that was enough to sort of get you over the finish line. Yeah. Do you have a, a, I assume a very strong support team surrounding you on that set so that you have everything that you need? Yeah, I, I had an amazing assistant, Kara Pamonte. Got to <laughs> shout her out. Shout out. And my producer, Ro Donnelly, who works with Dakota Johnson at Tea Time. Um, she's her partner. She was at Monitor. And and when you are both acting and directing, it's key to have a producer whose eye you trust because they're the one at Monitor who, if you need to, you know, I try to not run to monitor between takes because when you are trying to get through a day, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it does, it pulls you out and it's not efficient in terms of time management, but, but you really need someone who, you know, I could just say, Ro, did that look okay? Or would, and, and it's so much about prep too. Like all of my, my department heads were so brilliant and I run prep, like I've never been an athlete. Okay. <laughs> but I run prep, like how I assume, you know, like a football coach would run something where there's like no stone unturned and that there are, there are plan B's, C's and D's for any variable that could go wrong. So that when I'm on set and am straddling so many different 
um, responsibilities, we already have everything in place. And so that really helps. Um, was that intuitive doing that? Or is that you've gone through enough, you know, we had to go to plan B and C and D enough times that you're like, now we just know it in advance. I think I've seen enough. Making films is harrowing and there are always 1000 things that go wrong. And so I've done it for long enough and I've made enough films to know those things. But Band-Aid as my first film as a director and the fact that I was also writing and acting and we sh- the fact that we shot it in 12 days, which for a feature is, is really, really, really Bonkers, great. Yeah. That was where I started that practice mm-hmm. of plans B, C, D, and E and, and having my assistant director, my producer, my DP, everyone literally running our shot lists before going so that we knew exactly where we were headed so that everyone could anticipate everyone else's needs and there was no there's a there's a lot of waiting and downtime on a set but as much as you can minimize it yeah. you know the better you'll be are there things that you brought into this experience that you always wish you had on past sets where you're like someday when i'm in charge this is going to be like a must have hmm well, on Bandit, it was hiring all women. Yeah, that's um, cool. Because I had never seen that before. I, I don't think, I don't know if it's happened since. It, you know, I think there's so much dialogue around it, which is really important, but it's a very hard system to sort of upend or subvert. Yeah. And so I haven't been able to do that again since because I've worked with larger companies and that was so fiercely independent that I could make every decision. Yeah. On this one, I think... You know, and I, I still really try to hire as many women as, as humanly possible, but I was really interested in process on this one for me and trying to have fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is easy to n- not prioritize. Yeah. And I did it. And that was really amazing. Yeah. Like I, I was really fueled by like glee. <laughs> yeah, good. And that was really cool to show myself that I could take on such a, sort of gargantuan task and still find so much joy. That's awesome. Uh, It makes me think of years ago talking to my therapist. I had developed a really bad habit of every book I would write, I would write like from a place of like destruction. Like Mm. I would just, I would write all day and I would have incredible back pain and just tension in my body. And I, I thought that if I wanted to be a great writer, I had to suffer and, you know, all of these ridiculous things. And it got so that I started to have anxiety about writing. Mm. I started to have anxiety about going back into a writing project because I knew how horrible the experience would be. And she was like, what if you just, I don't know, you just tried to write from a place of love. And I was like, what the, (laughs) what are you talking? She's like, well, have you ever tried? I'm like, no, but you don't know what you're talking about. Like, I know. She's like, no, if you've never tried, then you're actually not sure. You've learned a modality and it's worked for you. But could you consider creating the thing you want to create from a place of joy or peace or love or anything that's healthier for you than this? Mm. And that fully changed how I approached the experience. And it took someone else going like, are you sure that this is the way? What's beautiful about what you're doing is that you're showing everybody else. It's, again, these ripple effects. Totally. It doesn't have to be this negative environment. It doesn't have to be, yes, it's stressful, but we don't have to live and drown in this stress. Like, we can choose a different path. Yeah, and if stress is 
the driving force behind any creative endeavor, it's going to have an impact on the work. I think especially on a set, but in any sort of collective group of people trying to bring something to the mm. fore, like energy is so contagious. Yeah. And one person's energy can shift an entire room. And so, yeah, in, in any position of leadership, it is so much about from the top down yes. what energy you are bringing to the table. And I think too, especially for women, I, I always t talk about um, for women filmmakers, but I, I'm sure it applies to many industries. Like we've been taught that leadership is supposed to look like one thing, mm -hmm. which is through a pretty patriarchal lens yeah. that it's about like um, f sort of force yep. and um, strength and sometimes you know, fear being used as a tool or or intimidation. And I think the act of like not knowing every answer and actually asking questions yes. around you and allowing for it to be a collective instills so much trust in your leadership because yes. people feel included and people feel involved and they are genuinely included and involved. It's not just yeah. a feeling. It's yeah. like we're all in this together and like – that is such an exciting way yeah. to make work yeah. because everyone is then so equally invested in their visions, bringing your vision to life. And to me, that's one of the most exciting things about filmmaking is, yeah. is just working in community in that way. Well, it, it's also an antiquated way of showing leadership is this like, I have all the answers. I know what is best. Yeah. I am the authority. It feels so old. And I, I was talking to my oldest son today who had an interview for school and he was nervous about his interview. And he's like, you know, how are you feeling, Betty? He's like, I'm, I'm pretty nervous. And I, and he was so, he wanted to make a good impression. And I said, oh, when you sit down if you feel like he was nervous that his voice was going to shake. Mm -hmm. And I said, if you feel nervous, just say it. Just say it. I said, Jack, I use this all the time when I'm doing a speech on stage. When I first started as a keynote speaker, this I'd go on stage and I could hear my voice shaking. And I'd just say to the audience, I'm so sorry, guys. I'm a little nervous. I might pee my pants. Give me a few <laughs> minutes. I'll be okay. It immediately, like for you, relieves the yes. stress of that moment. But I also think the humanity in that for the team of people that you're guiding, they're like, oh, thank God. She's real. Like, yeah. we all get nervous. We're all scared it's the first day. Like, we want to do a good job. I think you're also more likely to have a team of people that will speak up mm -hmm. if they know, you know, like, oh, she's about to crash the car. Mm -hmm. But you don't. There's an, in a, an incredible study about, this is maybe going to go too dark, but about plane crashes in the 80s they were experiencing a lot of planes were crashing they could not figure out why it was happening and they finally identified it was from co-pilots who would not speak up when they knew that there was something wrong Whoa. because they were so scared of authority of mm. the pilot and they didn't want to offend him that they would say nothing and they played back all of these tapes of plane crashes and found out that's why it was happening so they had to retrain all of these pilots that like you both are important. You both have to have the authority to say when you're scared of something. So it's the same thing on that set or in, you know, someone's listening, they have a, a workplace, they're in a community, they're leading in any way. 
I think even as a, in a family to mm-hmm. say like, y'all, I'm so sorry. I, I was in a real bad mood and I handled that badly. Yes. It's just the humanity in that I think is a more organic, beautiful way to lead anything. Totally. Yeah, I, I think, and the more that you sort of experience it, the more that then you can embody yes. it. And yeah. and so, yeah, I, I love that as a philosophy. I, I try to bring it with me wherever I I go and, and I see the impact. Like I see then that the work is better and the vibe mm. is better yeah. and that we're all then, it's not to say people are going to have bad days, right? Like even if you come in being like, I've got great energy, yeah. there's going to be someone who's yeah. like, I'm right. fucking hate right. you today. <laughs> uh, but, but generally, like I do think it's so cool to me to to look at like human beings as being that interconnected yeah. because we are yeah. and and energy is like it's a, a, a real force yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it feels like speaking of energy it feels like i can feel your pride and i can feel your excitement and your joy in this project and having interviewed a lot of people or been around a lot of like oh i'm on the verge of something big there's a certain amount of often what I feel is a lower level of anxiety. Mm. And so I just want to acknowledge that you feel, to me, very grounded oh, in this thanks. moment. Is that accurate that you're just sort of like, I fucking did this thing. <laughs> and like, I don't know what is going to happen, but I did it. I did this thing. And I'm like, let's put it out in the world. And here's this baby that I made. What do y'all think? Yeah, I think I do. It's obviously always scary. Yeah. But... I do feel an immense amount of pride. Good. And I Good. I think that partially comes with age of like being able to ground into those feelings in a different way. But I I also think, you know, as an artist like if you don't love the thing you're making, it's yeah. really I feel like whenever I write something that is so singular to my experience, those are the most universal stories. Yeah. And and so, you know, yeah, I'm I'm excited to share it because I hope that it is as universal as as I set out to make it, even though it was very much very much a personal narrative. And that's all that's another like exciting collective experience. Like, you know, on set it's very much about that organism that you're creating amongst your collaborators but then the organism that like is functioning between like viewer and creator is also really cool and it's never going to be perfect but I am excited to now be in this new space where um I get to yeah share it with the world (laughs) it's really cool and I'm not in your world, but as a woman looking on it, it makes me really proud. Mm -hmm. Like it's been really prideful for me to sit with all of these women this week and be like, this shit is not easy. Mm. It is not easy to get a chance to lead in this industry and to lead in so many ways and to do it with excellence and intentionality. So we're watching you and cheering you on and it's amazing. (laughs) Uh, If listeners, viewers, if they want to, of course, go watch this wild story (laughs) and see what we just talked about brought to life, which is really cool. Um, Tell us all the details. Where can we find it? What can we do? What do we do? Slip premieres April 21st on the Roku channel. If you don't have a Roku television, 
if, if you do, then you're, you're set. You're set. <laughs> and um, it should be very easy for you to find. Um, if you have a Samsung TV, you can download the Roku app. If you have an Amazon Fire Stick, you can download the Roku app. Otherwise, you can watch it at therokuchannel.com on any device, cool. laptop, iPad, iPhone. Cool. April yeah. 21st. It's yeah. soon. All seven episodes drop, so you can binge them. Oh, I love that. I love <laughs> yeah. that. We did not get streaming services so we could watch TV old school style. No, this Ted show is, is meant to be binged for sure. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with thank us, you so sharing much. your wisdom. Keep doing what you're doing. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Look. We're all super busy. We have so many things filling up our plate each and every day. And I like to imagine what it would be like if I had an extra hour. Like, what would I do? I like to think that I would be my absolute best self and I would meditate and make sure I'm journaling more. I would do my morning pages. I would really take advantage of that time. But in order to know what to do with your time, you have to understand what your priorities are. And therapy can be a really fantastic way to figure that out. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a quick questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Rach to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Rach.